All right, good morning, everybody. Thank you, Melissa. Amen. Welcome back to church. I'm grateful that we get the chance to to gather and and worship Jesus in the midst of everything we're experiencing, and we still get to do it together. Um, We're going to get a chance to do it again now by sitting under his word, but before I ask you to stand to read the passage for this morning, I do have to say there's someone with the blue Subaru that has their windows open, and it looks like it's about to rain. So when we stand, you can use that opportunity to go check your car and not be ashamed of doing that. I was told to say that Bill Curley wanted to be very careful for someone. All right. With that said, we're going to be in Psalm 23 this morning. So I'm going to ask you to stand. And like we did last week, I'm actually going to ask you to read the text with me. We're going to read it together. This is a, a, a famous psalm, a well-worn psalm for many of us. And I want us to consider this psalm for our current context, what, what we're currently experiencing. And so it should be up on the screen And so we'll start with verse 1. I know it has that thing at the beginning of Psalm of David. I'll explain that. But let's read God's words for us this morning. Ready? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is God's word. You may be seated. Gracious shepherd, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts in this moment be pleasing acts of worship before you, our rock and our redeemer. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for this holy moment together. Amen. Our table at home is not perfect. It has marks where forks were used as instruments. The chairs have scuff marks from booster seats that were strapped down to lift little ones up so that they felt like they were part of this table too, like they mattered. It has removable leaves that that let us shrink it down so that we can sit close enough to actually see each other or or even expand it so that friends can become family. Our table's not perfect, but it's where family acts like family and, and friends and strangers feel like family. At least that's our hope as we eat and slow down enough to enjoy each other, laugh with each other, remember each other, actually ask the question we often ignore with masks and quick answers, how are you really? Our table's not perfect, but it is good because we're at the table together, and at this table we practice what God has been perfecting, this gospel that makes us family. It's what we practiced here at TVC in this familia. The tables get rolled out and the food gets laid out and the people actually lean in to each other. But I'll tell you something, it's not our potlucks that have made us family. It's not our Bible studies. It's not being here on a Sunday morning. It's not serving each other. It's not our random drop-ins to check on each other or that text or call to check in on hard days that made us family. All of those are practices we've entered into because we already are family. Because God has made us family in Jesus. He is the one who brought us together in this place for this time, for his glory and for our good. 
And so even as we process, even as we grieve, we grieve in the hope of the gospel. And this morning, I want to remind us that we also continue in the hope of the gospel. In whatever comes next, however it comes, with whoever it comes, we walk step by step in the hope of the gospel. Because at the end of the day, God might be rearranging the chairs, but we're still sitting at the same table set by the gospel. Psalm 23 is a comforting psalm, not just because of its beautiful language, but because of its perspective. You see, it's written not just with green pastures in mind, but with valleys with shadows that creep and death that looms. It is written in trust that God's paths are righteous and that he will lead, he will provide, he will protect, he will bring us all the way home. And so this morning, as we meditate on Psalm 23, here and now, in the, life of the TV, in the life of TVC, I want to draw our attention to three specific pictures in this psalm. There are more, but three specific pictures that David is using in this poem, and my prayer is that these images will become trustworthy snapshots of the God we've been following, and the God we will continue to follow into what comes next. And so the three pictures I want us to stop and meditate on in this poem are the paths, the table, and the pursuit. The paths that lead us to his table and the pursuit that the table assures us of. Paths, table, pursuit, all because of the gospel, all because of the God we serve. And so I want us to start where this poem starts with the poet behind it. Because Psalm 23 begins not with the Lord is my shepherd, but by telling us who actually wrote this, a psalm of David. You see, part of the beauty of the psalm is that it is intimate, it is universal, and it is particular. It is intimate because David is writing it. And he's writing it not just about the Lord, but a few verses in, he actually switches and writes it to the Lord. He moves from the Lord is my shepherd to you are with me. And we are drawn into these images. We are able to turn and repeat these words back to the one who loves us and leads us. And there are other psalms that use the language of us and we, but here in this psalm, the language is me, my, and I, spoken before the one who made each of us. It is the language of love and relationship, of of trust and intimacy. That's also why I say it's universal, because it's not just some private poem for David. It is a poem that's for you and for me. It is a prayer that the Lord included in his word to testify to his character and to assure us of the relationship he wants us to have with him. You see, God is not a God who is far away. He's a shepherd who is right there with us. The gospel proves this beyond a shadow of a doubt, beyond the shadow even of death, because he came to us. Actually, at the time we least wanted anything to do with him. And I think it's important to say that it's also particular because this poem is not for everyone everywhere at all times. It is actually for those who, like David, are actually God's sheep, are part of God's people. It is a psalm that brings comfort to those that it applies, and it applies only to those who know that they're sheep who are actually following the true shepherd. This is a psalm of David, and it's a psalm that begins with the Lord who leads him, who leads me and you, who leads all who follow him, in paths of righteousness, because that is who he is, a shepherd. Look at the first three verses. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The beauty of this psalm is not just in its language, but in its reality. It's earthiness, it's, it's, it's dirtiness, it's, it's, it's real experience of life. And I say that because in our day, we have romanticized the picture of the shepherd. But in the time of David, that was not a romantic picture. 
It was a 24-7 job, rain or shine, summer or winter, in the blazing heat of the day and in the shivering cold of the night. Shepherds lived with the sheep. They, they cared for the sheep. They, they counted them to make sure that they were all there. They, they carried them when they couldn't walk. You see, shepherds smelled like sheep. And sheep don't smell very good. Sheep know their shepherd. This is the comparison that David starts with. The Lord is our shepherd. He is the one who provides everything we need, who knows what is best, and who leads us. He, he leads us to green pastures and by still waters where we can eat and rest and be cleaned, where our souls can be restored. Do you know what that means then? It means that he knows exactly what our souls need in order to be restored. It means he knows what pastures are actually green and what waters are actually still. It means we need to trust him to lead us there, even and especially when we don't understand. Why? Because we trust him to lead us in paths of righteousness. He, he knows the right path to bring us to where we need to go. And, it, and it's not the right path just because it gets us where we need to go, but because he is the one who is leading us on it. It is the right path not just because of the destination, but because of the journey because of the trust that it requires to follow the shepherd up mountains and down valleys, trusting what we do not see, that there actually are green pastures and still waters because he says so. But not just because he says so, as if that's not enough. We also trust because he's already done it. PVC, do you know how full my heart has been even in the middle of all that we've been processing and praying through together because of all the visits I've had with you? And hearing what the Lord has done in you and through you, how he has loved not just you, but other people here through you. Hearing all that he has done. This, fam this family hasn't been perfect. But in many ways and to many people, this has been one of the green pastures that the Lord has led all of us to. The still waters at which he has refreshed our souls. We need to remember that. And trust that he will do it again. Even if he's calling us down a path that may look a lot less green to us. More chaotic to us. God leads us in his paths of righteousness because he is righteous. That is who he is. He is holy. He does not sin. He is perfect. He makes no mistakes. And he loves us enough that he actually chose to be our shepherd. To actually live with us. One theologian writes about his paths, about Jesus' paths, says they're right in every single sense of that word because his paths are the best and most direct route to him. He doesn't take wrong turns. He doesn't get lost and he doesn't lose us. The only reason we get lost is because we wander and even then we are not alone. There's always a shepherd that is looking for us, leading us back to himself. We hear his voice and we follow even when his paths are not as nice as we hoped they would be. Next verse, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I want to say something that is true, but is difficult to receive, and I know it's difficult to receive because I had difficulty receiving it. And yet I think if we can actually hear it and receive it and believe it, it will make all the difference in our walk with the Lord, our shepherd. The valley of the shadow of death is as much one of his paths of righteousness as green pastures and still waters. 
The valley of the shadow of death is as much one of his paths of righteousness as green pastures and still waters. In fact, sometimes, maybe even many times, the path that leads to green pastures and still waters goes through the valley of the shadow of death. And still he leads, still we follow, because our fear is met by his presence. This is when David goes from personal to to super personal, from truth he's declaring to love he's experiencing. It is not the Lord is with me, it is you are with me. You see, in the valley, our shepherd does not walk in front telling us to catch up. These are the moments that he drops back and walks with us, syncing up our pace to his. The perfect pace that does not rush past the difficult, but does not linger so long as to be suffocated by it. And his presence is protection. He carries a rod to defend and a staff to control. A rod to defend against enemies and a, and a staff to keep us walking the path instead of falling into a ditch on either side. And for those of us who get nervous when we're walking and following, the path into the valley, his path of righteousness, is actually a path for the faint of heart. Like you and like me, where alone we would not manage, alone we might not make it, alone we might go down and keep going down. We might go down and not come back up, but the Lord is not faint of heart. And it is his presence that revives our hearts and restores our souls and makes us able to say, I will fear no evil. Why? Because he is with me. He is armed and ready and his presence is our comfort even on the most difficult of paths. There's a book that I read this past week that connected some of these dots for me using the, the geography of Israel and the love of the shepherd. And, and I want to show you what I mean, what I, what I learned. Because geographically, geographically, if you've looked at Israel on a map or even seen pictures or even been there, the water and the grass that David is talking about here is actually really hard to find. There's a lot of desert, a lot of rough ground where there's not much that grows. And so shepherds, they had to always be ready to lead their sheep from one pasture to the next, up and down long winding paths, migrating to another pasture. And and the sheep may not understand why, why the shepherd was, was leading them from somewhere they thought was good to go through the wilderness where the ground is rough, where water is in short supply. Where are we even going? Why couldn't we stay there? Why are you leading us away? The sheep don't know, but the shepherd does. There are green pastures and still waters on his heart as he leads, and there's not a single step that's wasted on the way because his paths are straight. They are righteous. They are the the shortest point from point A to point B to actually get where we need to go. This is our life with the Lord, our shepherd. We look back and we wonder, why couldn't we have stayed? Why are you leading me away? I I, I don't like what I see on the horizon, and I'm worried that I'm going to go hungry, that I'm going to go thirsty, that it will not be the same. And yet our good shepherd leads us into it because he knows where he's taking us. He knows who he's leading, and he knows that his paths are always righteous. Our job is not to figure out the path, but to trust in the shepherd who leads us on that path, even into the valley, because he's always there with us. And along the way, he reminds us of his presence, not just by walking alongside, but actually by stopping to prepare a table. You see, David switches images in our next verse from shepherd to host, from paths to table, because even as God leads us on a journey, he also invites us to a table, to to his table. The text says in verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. 
You anoint my head with oil. My, my cup overflows. The fear of David now becomes the, the freedom of dinner, if you will. The kind of love and joy that happens around a table sharing a meal. You see, David goes from walking in fear to sitting at a table. And, and the way he's talking, there's still danger. Right? Enemies are around, but the Lord is still providing a table. But he doesn't have to exhaust himself muscling through and gritting his teeth to trust in the Lord. He can, he can rest in the one who has unlimited resources, even in the worst of moments. And that shepherd leads us to a table. Why? Because there's something that happens at a table that binds people together, that, that creates and solidifies this, this bond of love and loyalty, this relationship. In fact, if you trace through the scriptures in multiple key moments in the history of his people, God actually sets a table, uses a table to establish relationship. From Exodus 24, God brings the elders of Israel up onto a, a mountain before he gives the law to Moses and actually sets a table before them. They see him and they eat with him. All the way to Matthew 26, when Jesus sits at a table and explains with bread and wine how he is the one who fulfills the law by his death. At the table, the Lord communicates his love, the relationship that he establishes before he leads us into righteousness. And to be at his table is to be more than a guest for a day. Because of the gospel, it is to be a child for life. He is the one who prepares the table. He is the one who invites us to it. And his provision, as you can see in Psalm 23, is not just bare necessities. It's extravagant because he loves us. Our cup overflows, not with what we think we need or even what we think we want, but what we most desperately need and what our hearts most deeply want. His presence not only protects, but it provides rest. And let me tell you, his table is pretty long. It extends in all directions, making room for each and every one of us. It is a table for all of us who are weary and need rest. All of us who know deeply, like Augustine says, that our hearts are restless until they are found in him. It is a table we've enjoyed here over and over again. A table we've sat at with with brothers and sisters in Christ who call this place TVC home. A table his paths have led each of us to in this place. It's also a table we share with brothers and sisters in Christ and local churches across zip codes, whether it be in West Chicago with the Iglesia del Pueblo or local churches in this area or local churches across continents. And it is still the same table even though God may be rearranging the chairs. We're still sitting at the same table that's set by the gospel. He made us family and we are still family. But in this next season, he is calling us to sit with other family members. And we trust that it is both glorifying to him and good for us, even if it is really difficult to understand. And let me tell you, things like this can be really difficult to understand. You see, Psalm 23 might declare that God prepares this table before us, but sometimes in the valley of the shadow of death, our fears, they crack this door open to doubt, and and we don't know what to do with that. Because we believe, but it's hard to see. And actually, there's another psalm that reflects this, where the poet in that psalm recalls how the people of God doubted as they walked in the wilderness, how their excitement at at, at being freed from slavery in Egypt gave way to complaints and frustration, how, how trusting God became doubting God. And one of their questions, I think, helps us balance this strong conviction of Psalm 23, 5, because let's be honest, we also have our doubts. Psalm 78, 19, the poet remembers how God's people questioned their rescuer, saying, can God spread a table in the wilderness? Can God take care of us? In the wilderness, in the valley, in the shadows, is God able to do what he says he would do? After all, 
Talk is cheap, right? It's not enough to say you will provide. Will you actually provide? Psalm 23 declares the truth of his table, but Psalm 78 reveals the doubt that our hearts wrestle with. Can he actually spread a table in this wilderness? And Psalm 78 records God's constant answer to their doubt by recalling the history of his people over and over again when the Lord did that. All the way until the end of that psalm when the poet describes the coming of David, God's shepherd, as God's provision. But then Psalm 23 reminds us that even David has a shepherd. The reality is that our answer is not found in any of these under-shepherds who lead God's people. The answer to can God spread a table in the wilderness is not found in Pastor Eric Solomon, is not found in Will Frankel or Hannibal Rodriguez. The answer to can God spread a table in the wilderness finds its yes and amen in Jesus and Jesus alone. Because by his death and resurrection, Jesus sets the table for the gospel for us in the wilderness of our sin, in the chaos of our brokenness and our rebellion, in the gospel, God has prepared a table for us, a table that testifies to his pursuit of us. Look at the last verse of the text. Surely, with confidence, David says, goodness and mercy, your goodness, God, your mercy, God, will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The paths, they may be hard to understand, and and we may even have the table in doubt, but if we remember his pursuit, we can trust that his table is prepared and his paths are always righteous, because it is his goodness and mercy that follow us every single day. And not follow like, like keeping in step or like, like lining up for something, but, but, but follow like pursue, like, like chase, like, like never giving up, always coming for us, intent on getting to us kind of follow. The enemies that pursue us in lies and doubts fall behind as his goodness and mercy overtake them and grab hold of us. God is with us no matter what happens because it is his goodness and mercy that pursue us no matter the circumstance. Our home is secure because it is with him. It's not dependent on how we feel or what's happening around us. It is dependent on the one who is always beside us, leading us down his paths of righteousness. Familia, as we continue to process and pray together and figure out what comes next together, seeking his will for what comes next in each of these stories, I, I want us to understand deeply that God might be rearranging these chairs but we're still sitting at the same table that's set by the gospel. While everything feels like it's changed, the most true thing about us has not. The gospel has still made us into family. And we may be sitting with other members of that family in different spots at the table, at different sections, but it is still good. Why? Because of what Jesus tells us in John chapter 10. You see, Psalm 23 anticipates John chapter 10. The Lord is my shepherd turns into us listening to that Lord speak where he says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. He is our shepherd, our good shepherd. And why is he good? Because he loves us so much that he gave his life for us. To make us his sheep. That's why earlier I said Psalm 23 is particular, right? It's a comforting psalm that comforts only those who are actually his sheep because his sheep hear his voice, but he is the one who who dies to enable them to hear, to bring them into his flock, for for these sheep to to follow him. Familia, in all of us, in all of what we're dealing with, 
Like Pastor Kyle said on, on Wednesday night, our deepest desire, my deepest desire is that each of you would seek the Lord's will, would listen to his word, would turn to him instead of away from him, that you might pursue life with his people instead of away from his people. Whether, whether it's West Chicago where, where we can continue to love you or, or in another local church, and, and I understand that that takes time. I'm not saying that you should just jump right in, but the one thing that I am praying against is that this would lead you to God and not away from him to his people, and not away from them. I am praying that each of us continue to follow our good shepherd on his paths of righteousness, even in the valley. Because Jesus died to make us his, and he's not about to let us go. As our shepherd, he died for us, his sheep, and if we know Jesus and we love him, Psalm 23 is a great comfort, and I pray that in this season it would be a gentle but clear challenge to continue to trust in the one who has been faithful, even in the middle of all of this. One of my favorite hymns says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. We are all prone to wander. Isaiah 53, 6 begins like this. says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've, we've turned everyone to his own way. On our own, we wander. We are wanderers at heart. But that's why Isaiah 53, 6 ends by saying, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We can be done wandering because our good shepherd died and came back to life and is now leading us. And, and sometimes, sometimes he leads us by getting in our way and stopping us from wandering into a ditch. And so my prayer is that Jesus might stop us from wandering away from the flock in pain and lead us back to him. That Jesus might, might stop us from looking for other tables but lead us back to his table with new seats but same gospel meal, eating next to brothers and sisters who are family because of the gospel. That's why this morning we are gathering not just to worship or proclaim the gospel by sitting under his word but by also meeting together at the table of communion. This table that our good shepherd has set for us, has prepared for us. This morning, we celebrate communion together as a reminder that though God rearranges the chairs, it's still his table. And we celebrate communion because this is what God's familia does. So as we normally do, as we prepare to eat and drink, I want to invite you to open up the bread and the cup first to get all the crinkling out of the way. But more than that, so that when it comes time to eat and drink, we can do it together. If you haven't gotten any, they're back there. I'll give you a minute to open, and I should probably open mine so it doesn't become awkward. Are you ready? Final crinkles. Can God prepare a table in the wilderness? This morning we testify together that he has indeed done that. Not just a table of food, but the table of the gospel. In the chaos of our sin, Jesus came and he lived and he died and he was buried and he came back to life so that he could set a table for us. Not just so that he could save us from sin, but that also he could save us into his family. A table is a picture of intimacy, of, re of relationship, of love and family. And so we gather around this table symbolically with these elements and later physically with all kinds of amazing food that's been prepared. And we want to remember and proclaim that it is Jesus who built this table with his broken body and his blood poured out for us. 
And so we're doing this together even on one of these final Sundays that we have because this is what brought us together in the first place, and I so desperately want you to remember that. And even though the Lord is rearranging these chairs, for right now we're sitting at the table together as family in Christ, and we want to remember and proclaim that he has saved us from our sin, that he has saved us into his family. And I want us to take a moment now before we eat and pray to acknowledge our sins, that we are sinners saved by grace, strangers saved into family. So as we prepare to eat the bread and drink the cup, will you pray with me as we remember what it took for Jesus to save us? Gracious shepherd, you lead us and you love us. And we trust you. And so we trust what you say when you tell us the truth about ourselves. That we are sinners, rebels against your love, that our sin goes so deep that we cannot save ourselves, but also that you love us so much that we didn't have to. That we are made in your image and you are intent on making us whole again. You came and you saved us. You died for us. You came back to life for us. It is your grace that makes us your sheep. And yet, Lord, we still wander. Our hearts, they are prone to wander, to leave you, the God we love, the God who loves us. And so this morning, we come to your table and we confess our sins, both the wrongs we have done and the right we have not done. As we approach your table, we turn from our sins. We, we know that we are sinners saved by grace, and so as we approach, we actually confess our sins together Amelia, let's take a moment to confess silently before the Lord together. Lord, you have prepared this table before us, assuring us of your goodness and your mercy, your never-changing love for us. We receive the forgiveness you promise us in the death and resurrection of Jesus, and we pray that you would continue to clean and change us by your Holy Spirit and enable us to live for you wherever you lead us. Amen. Well, let's hold up the bread together. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 24, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat and remember together. Jesus, you are the good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep. As we prepare to drink this cup, we remember how you laid down your life for us, how you poured out your blood for us, how you actually drank the cup of wrath so that we would not have to. You have saved us from sin by dying for us. Your blood is precious to us, and we remember that together now. Thank you. Would you remind us now and every day that it is your blood that cleanses us from all sin? Not just some sins, not just big sins, but all sin. By faith we drink because by faith we are saved. 
Would you not only remind us, but empower us to proclaim that with our words and our actions wherever you lead us. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's raise the cup together. Paul continues in chapter 11, verse 25, in the same way also Jesus took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink and remember together. Paul ends that section in 1 Corinthians 11 saying, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Familia, at this table, we remember the gospel that saved us. We declare our love for Jesus and the family he's invited us into, and we proclaim the gospel that will see us through to the end. Like I keep saying, the chairs might be rearranged, but this table continues to point us to the greater meal that we have in heaven and will have in heaven together someday. Until we get there, we continue to pray in hope. This isn't the last time we're taking communion together. We're going to take it again next week, but even that's not the last time we're taking it together. Someday we'll get to take it together at his table. Until we get there, let's pray. Father, we may never forget, may we never forget what you have done for us in Christ. Jesus, would you draw us closer to you day by day by day? Spirit, would you empower us to resist temptation, to pursue holiness, to to listen to your voice? We trust in you, God. Would you please lead us like a shepherd? Would Would you remind us that you set a table for us even in the wilderness? We entrust ourselves to you. And Lord, we trust that your goodness, your mercy will follow us forever that we no longer need a a physical temple to know that we are at home with you because where we are gathered there, you are with us. We thank you for what you have done and what you will do. In all these things we pray, amen and amen.